And as you are, if you want to grab your Bible uh, or the Bible in the pew rack in front of you, um, we're going to be in Psalm 32 as our primary text. But to set up Psalm 32 and understand what's happening there, we're going to also look at 2 Samuel 11. So you could get to Psalm 32, uh, hold that, and then flip over to 2 Samuel 11. We'll start there. And as uh, you're indexing through all those possibilities in your Bible, let me ask you uh, this question. Uh, How many of you in the room, uh, in learning how to type properly using the home keys, had to first unlearn uh, what I'll call the two-finger hunt and peck method uh, in order to learn the home key method? How many had to unlearn hunting and pecking with two index fingers? Yeah, I did too. I, I think they're doing better with kids now starting them much earlier, but I had had enough time with my two-finger hunt and peck method to get pretty proficient and pretty quick with, uh, with my two fingers that um, in having to be uh, taught uh, to use the home keys with all 10 of my fingers, I actually felt like I was about 10 times slower when I started out doing that than I was actually with my two fingers. But if you're like me, you stuck out the lessons and you kept doing the silly little games and learning the home keys uh, because you knew uh, this truth. And you might not have heard this truth, but this was a quote that was used uh, in, a, in a typing context that I was in. Um, I think it has a lot deeper meaning than that, which we're going to use in our scenario today. Uh, but this was the line that sometimes you have to take a step backwards in order to take two steps forward. Uh, someone said last night, that's not typing, that's a country song. I don't know, but um, so maybe it might not be as profound as I thought. Uh, but when it comes to advancing our typing proficiency and speed on a keyboard, uh, we do. We have to kind of unlearn those two fingers, hunt and peck, look up and down, up and down, up and down. We've got to unlearn that, take a step back, get a little slower at first to learn the home keys that we can eventually take two steps forward and become uh, pretty almost, uh, sometimes I watch it, I'm like, man, that's pretty cool that I can do that. I think typing's kind of fascinating. So anyway, um, sometimes you have to take a step back in order to take two steps forward. And really that concept will serve us well as we continue our series this morning, uh, Honest to God, looking at the book of Psalms. And really the, the whole idea behind this series and today again is that the very thing that we signed on for in the Christian life, that you could summarize it this way, that we signed on for through Jesus Christ a relationship with God. And as great as it is that we now have a relationship with God, not just someday in heaven, but also right here on earth in real time that's leading us and, and, and having a relationship with God, one of the things that we've recognized is that far too often we um, assume that we know what that looks like. We assume that, oh yeah, you have a relationship with God, we know what that looks like and how that lives out. And, um, but we wanted to ensure that, rather than just gloss over it, because I don't think it is that obvious sometimes, we wanted to make explicit in our time together what that relationship actually looks like. And uh, one of the leading books in scripture as to what uh, our relationship with God can look like is the book of Psalms. And so we've been looking at the Psalms as a, uh, we've set a relational template as to how we can relate to God and frankly be uh, open and honest to God in that relationship. And so today, relative to our illustration, uh, we wanna look at uh, how the Psalms show us how we can actually take a step back uh, in our relationship with God in order to take two steps forward through the theme of confession. Uh, because when it comes to this series and the series title, this whole idea of getting honest to God, it's really hard to miss um, the theme of confession, both in the Psalms and in our lives. In fact, just that very phrase, getting honest with someone, um, whether God or anyone else in life, kind of brings with it that idea of confessing. That if I'm going to get honest with you, I'm going to kind of confess and be open and honest with you. And so 
More specifically today, we want to look at confession as it relates to confessing sin with God. That, because again, we want to be open and honest uh, with him in that way. But I would suspect, um, for me, I know, and, and probably for many of you, that when it comes to growing in our relationship with God, when it comes to taking steps forward in our uh, devotion to Jesus Christ. If you're like me, you're probably always searching out ways you could take steps forward. Uh, for me, I'm always looking at ways I can uh, maybe take steps forward through more prayer, through more Bible study, or through uh, less sin and more right living. And then as a church, we say we want to take steps forward in our devotion to Jesus Christ through growing together and serving alongside one another, serving together. And so as appropriate as it is for us to always strive where God might be asking us to take steps forward in our relationship with him, the thing about what makes our relationship with God even possible, as we just celebrated in communion, is the reality that it's through the removal of and the forgiveness of sin, it's through the removal of that sin that the relationship with God is even possible. And so if there is in function in the living of our lives, if there's sin actively in our lives, really that serves as a roadblock that stops us from the ability to move forward in our relationship with God. And so when it comes to confession, confession is really that opportunity in the Christian life to rather than just plow forward, to take a step backwards to, to recognize the sin in our lives, confess that to God, that we might remove that barrier to continue to grow and move forward uh, in our relationship with God. And so um, our relational template for how we can learn and grow in confession is gonna be Psalm 32. Uh, but again, we're gonna set the stage for that. Uh, it's a prayer of King David. He's confessing in that Psalm, but we're gonna see what it is exactly he's confessing about. So we're gonna get the story behind the story in 2 Samuel 11. And so I invite you to read that with me. Uh, the story of King David, 2 Samuel 11, starting in verse 1. This is later on in, in David's life, and it says that in the spring, at the time when kings typically go off to war, David instead sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained chillaxing back at home in Jerusalem. Now, obviously, added that word, but it's actually a pretty good interpretation of, of what's actually happening here, that um, David is back home, kind of kicking back, and verse 2, in his spare time, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace, when from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man returned and said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Okay. Clearly, not good. Uh, but things go from bad to worse for David as uh, Bathsheba turns up pregnant. And then from there, things go from worse uh, to worser for David. In an effort to cover it up, he uh, calls uh, her husband Uriah home from the battle, from war, candidly to spend some long overdue time with his wife in an effort to cover this uh, situation up. But in honor, Uriah responds to David that he will not indulge this opportunity. Uh, he says to David in verse 11, Uriah says, the ark and Israel and Judah, they're all staying in tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are all camped out in the open country. How could I Go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife. As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. And so because of Uriah's honor, 
David's first cover-up plan does not work. And so from there, we could say that David's sin goes from the worst to the worstest. I mean, things are so bad that we have to throw out the rules of English grammar and syntax just to describe how bad David's sin is getting as it reaches a whole new level of worstest as he sends a letter to Uriah, uh, Uriah's commanding officer, Joab, stating this, verse 15, if you can jump your eyes down there. He says, put Uriah in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. Well, this is usually the point where the minister will start to unpack what's happening and kind of explain in modern time what's, what's really going on in the story. But honestly, there's not a whole lot of unpacking needed here. I mean, there's no historical context that I'm going to be able to suggest to you that it was in some way more culturally and socially acceptable back then to steal another man's wife and then have him killed, uh, frankly, than it would be today. Equally uncool in both cultures in both time frames. Um, and so David's sin is pretty bad. It's pretty obvious. And his, really, the implications of that sin as on earth kind of stuff is as bad as it gets. And so as we look at the magnitude of David's sin here, one of the things I want to kind of move out of David's story, maybe step into your story, something you may have heard ministers say before, and so I'll remind you of it or maybe say it to you for the first time, that um, when it comes to this whole idea of being able to confess our sin and seek forgiveness uh, with God, some of you... Um, even though you've maybe heard it cognitively, still functionally stay trapped in a state where it says, you know what, but my sin, it's just too bad, it's just too shameful, I cannot confess it, I really don't believe God will forgive it. Well, as we move through this story, David is a poster child, uh, really, for how much God loves you and still longs to forgive you. And so hang with David and hang uh, with us this morning in that. Because frankly, uh, what's even more ironic about David is that um, what the scriptures reveal is that the same David who his sin, frankly, makes Jerry Springer look like rated G or something, um, is the same David in the Bible that it says this about him. It says that he was chosen to be king over all Israel because, quote, from God, he is a man after God's own heart. We see a couple of references to where it says that. And for those of us um, familiar with that or maybe just hearing it, we scratch our heads and think, how could this David with such horrid sin also be the same guy in the Bible who, the one guy who it says that this was the guy after God's own heart? Well, clearly the answer is not because of David's uh, perfect track record or righteous living, but instead, because David was a man, this is why he's a man after God's own heart, because David was a man that even in the face of great sin in his life, uh, he knew, and, and even as the ruler and the king of an entire nation, he knew how to humble himself. He knew how to humble himself before the Lord to bow down in surrender and confession. David knew how to not let pride get the best of him and humble himself in confession and frankly take a step back in his relationship with God that he might then take two steps forward. That is the power of confession and even more importantly, the power of forgiveness that we find in our God. Uh, which brings us to Psalm 32. And this is where we read David's recounting of that story we just read, uh, of his unconfessed sin, of being stuck with that, his then confession, and then from there, the gift of forgiveness. And so we're gonna read Psalm 32, David's confession here uh, in its entirety. And so follow with me as David prays and says to us, blessed is the one 
whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Excuse me. Okay, so as we read this psalm, we see uh, right at the beginning, right out of the gate, verses one and two, really it's kind of a spoiler alert that David's gonna start this whole psalm really where the whole thing ends, and that is in the place of blessing. Blessed or blessed, he says. And really that's a word that we do hear a lot at church, you know, kind of blessed or just in public, you know, bless you and bless. But what blessing really means, uh, literally, is that the favor of God rests upon you. That's what blessed literally means. And so David is saying blessed or blessed, the favor of God rests upon the one whose transgressions are forgiven. The favor of God rests upon the one whose sins are covered. The favor of God rests upon the one whose sin, the Lord, does not count against him. And so far, we like this psalm. We like this relational template, this psalm of confession, because we like how the story ends and the way it's starting out. And that is this idea that we can be blessed, that we can have the favor of God resting upon us. However, uh, being honest with you as we get honest with God, uh, many of you here this morning are not living blessed. You're not living with the favor of God resting upon you. And the reason that many of you are struggling with that is either A, you are not actually convinced first of the sin problem that's in your life, or B, um, you're stuck in the sin problem and you're not convinced of the implications of forgiveness and grace. And so I'll explain that a little more. First, those of us who are in A, um, some of us get trapped into living um, as if really there is no sin in our lives, that for the most part, we're generally good. And really that comes from the makeup of our society. We live in a culture that uh, lives kind of in a relativity to one another type comparison that as long as, frankly, we don't do really bad things um, that we see like, for example, David did, that's, that's really bad stuff. If we don't go there, then we kind of see ourselves as, well, generally good. And while that might be true relative to other people's badness, uh, other people's goodness or badness, frankly, are not the standard to which we are measured against. God is. God is our standard as to what righteous and what sin is in our lives. And frankly, um, as BJ said in uh, our time for communion, God is perfect, but we, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and all sin and fall short in the perfection and the glory of God. And so in the end, or I should say in the beginning, 
because of Adam and Eve's original sin that we've inherited, we are not then generally good, but we actually are generally sinful. First uh, John 1.8 says that if we claim to be without sin, that if we live our lives as if we have no sin in it, then we deceive ourselves and then the truth is not in us. And so for many of you today, not necessarily intentionally, but just kind of haphazardly, um, have been deceived that you live your life as if, well, there is no sin problem or anything to be concerned about. And so really this whole sermon is a leap for you to listen to because you're not really interested in uh, a remedy of confession and forgiveness if you haven't been first convinced of the diagnosis, you could say, of the sin that's in your life, of the truth of Romans 3.23, that we all are sinful. And so the question we must first start with is, do you even recognize that there is sin and that there is sin in your life? Yet for others, uh, B, um, you are not living blessed. You are not living with the favor of God resting upon you, uh, really because of the opposite problem, because um, you're not convinced of the remedy of grace. That uh, rather than not being convinced of the sin in your life of Romans 3.23, you're actually uh, instead trapped there that you can't get past the sin that, we've, that we have in our life. And um, you're kind of stuck in an incompleteness of Romans 3.23, that you think that's where the, the, the scripture ends. But um, I would encourage you to read on. As verse 24 goes on, yes, we all fall short of the glory of God because of our sin, but all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. First John goes on as well. Yes, we all have sin in our lives, but if we confess, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. For some of you here today, instead of running to God in confession, um, you, you live in B. You have retreated into hiding, um, into uh, ashamed of your sin, uh, stuffing your sin, hiding your sin uh, from everyone, including God himself. Well, be encouraged, even in your discouragement. Uh, David was there too. Uh, verse three, he says, uh, in that same experience, he says, when I kept silent, when I kept it inside, he said, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And for those of you who have sin hidden and stuffed inside, you know this is true. You know uh, how much energy it functionally takes for you to keep it inside, for you to stuff it, for you to hide it. Uh, as if David said, sapped is in the heat of summer. It actually, as it takes you from the inside out, takes your physical energy as well. And so you're stuck there rather than the blessing, rather than having the goodness of God rest upon you, you have the sense that God's hand is heavy upon you. But thankfully, the psalm doesn't end there. The sermon doesn't end here. Uh, he goes on, right then and there for David, right here and now for you today. We see how, um, frankly, the spoiler alert, how the whole psalm began and will end, that blessed are those who are forgiven, that to close the gap between God's heavy hand, to close the gap between where we are as sinful to where we wanna be, and that is blessed and forgiven in the favor of God resting upon us, verse five. David reminds us, or David tells us, then I acknowledged my sin. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity any longer. I said, I will confess. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
And so, yes, some of you here today need to, A, humble yourself and acknowledge the weight of sin that is in your life. But then on the inverse, some of you need to stop acknowledging uh, the sin in your life, to stop uh, being trapped in a cesspool of guilt and shame and confess that transgression and that sin to the Lord, experiencing really, yes, the weight of sin is great, but the weight of forgiveness is even greater. In fact, I just caught this uh, at the eight o'clock service that we just sang, my sin runs deep, but your grace is more. Your grace runs even deeper than that. That's the gift we have in Jesus Christ. And this is so important. It's so important to recognize really the difference um, of how Jesus Christ does work and how Jesus Christ does not work in our lives. Because I think sometimes God gets the rap for what Satan really is causing in our lives and that this is the case. Guilt and shame is not of God. Guilt and shame is a bondage, it's a trap, it's a dead end that's not of God, that frankly keeping you down in it is one of Satan's greatest tactics, is one of his greatest attacks in your life. However, conviction, conviction on the other hand is not a dead end. Conviction is a gateway, it's a pathway that leads to confession, which then leads to God's forgiveness and the freedom and blessing, the blessing of God's favor resting upon you. And so make no mistake, there is sin in your life. But the challenge is that rather than run from God in the dead end of guilt and shame, you want to run to God in repentance and should be in response to conviction. Hebrews 4.16 says we can approach God with this confidence. It says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can go to God with confidence in confession so that you may receive mercy, receive grace, and have help in your time of need. You see, that is what confession is all about. We get this idea that this, this topic of confession is not one we want to come to. It's this, maybe this old idea of kind of a large two-person telephone booth where we have to go and unload all our... That's something not to look for. But bless, or confession is not um, a burden. Uh, it's a blessing. It's a gift. It's a gift that we can come to God in confession, getting honest to God, knowing that on the other side of that confession is forgiveness and blessing, God's favor resting upon us. And so, recognizing this is true, um, David goes further in helping us getting, uh, to get practical with how this actually looks, how it actually looks to relate to God, to get honest to God through confession. Uh, he encourages us in verse six. He says, therefore, and anytime you see that word therefore in scripture, basically it says, based on everything that we just looked at, David's saying, therefore, based on sin and confession and forgiveness, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. And so David is encouraging us to take what we've learned, take what we're learning, and to put it into practice. Put it into practice through prayer that we can take our sin to God in confession, honest to God, and receive the gift of forgiveness. And so I wanna step you through uh, really what we could call four stages of confession, uh, or just as easy call four stages of forgiveness um, as you do this more and more relating to God, getting honest to God in your prayer life. And so the first one is this. The first one is, the first step is to acknowledge sin. Acknowledge specific sin in your life. Yes, we recognize Romans 3.23, we're all sinful and fall short of the glory of God, but that's kind of a generic truth, and not that it's not a true truth, but we gotta go one layer deeper and say, okay, what does that mean specifically? How does that look specifically in my life? 
How have I specifically fallen short of the glory of God and where am I struggling? And so these kind of sins cons uh, consist of sins of what they call commission, sins that are committed, things that we do that we shouldn't do. Romans, or excuse me, Galatians 5 says, these sins, these types of sins are obvious. They're things like sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, hatred, fits of rage, envy, drunkenness, and the like. And so those are the things that we do that we don't want to do, that we shouldn't do, that we end up doing. And, uh, but we also acknowledge that uh, there are sins of omission in our lives, things that we omit to do, that God's called us to do, that we failed to do. And uh, the Apostle Paul says that for, the, for I do not do the good I want to do. It's a, the things I'm omitting to do that I know that I want to do. And so Galatians 5, after rifling off uh, these sins of commission, goes in to talk about how instead of this way of life, we want to live by the fruit of the Spirit. Many of you have heard of that. We want to live led by God's Holy Spirit. And he says this way of life is described a certain way, but when we fail to live by the fruit of the Spirit, we want to confess that and acknowledge that as well. So we want to acknowledge uh, sins of omission. When we fail to express love, joy, peace in our lives. We want to acknowledge when we fail to express uh, patience, kindness or goodness. We want to acknowledge when we fail to express faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. And so as you look at those lists of commission and omission, um, it doesn't take long to see that we are indeed all sinful, that um, I could check off many of those on both sides uh, of that screen in my own life, and I imagine you could too. And so that's pretty, pretty clear how that happens. Um, but we don't want to just stay there. Uh, we want to move on from that. And the second thing, once we've acknowledged the sin in our lives, the specific things we're struggling with, the second step is to, um, from there, express sorrow to God. Not just acknowledge it, but express genuine sorrow to God. And I think when it comes to, at least for me in my life, when it comes to this idea of continually cleansing myself before God in confession, it's, one, it's the step that the longer you do it, the harder it gets over time, that you start to even doubt how, if it's really kind of sticking because you've done it so many times. It starts to feel, maybe what's the point? Like, is it really sticking? And to kind of illustrate this, um, if, you've, if you've ever seen uh, children wash their own hands, um, you know that left to their own devices, if you don't help them along, um, it's basically pointless. It's a total waste of time and effort. And that, uh, personally for me, I wash my hands a lot uh, because I have children. And um, I mean, I wash my hands before children, but now because I have children, I really wash my hands. Uh, it's not, I'm, I'm not a germaphobe. I don't want you to think that. It's just, well, I'm terrified of germs. So, um, <laughs> so I wash my hands uh, obsessively and I make sure our kids are washing their hands obsessively. But again, in the end, if I think I'm dodging germs in any way, I'm only kidding myself because I have kids in school. And so collectively, we know that the word children and children in school, really that's synonymous with the word contagion, that uh, they really are in those places, just little petri dishes of virus and disease and sickness and uh, bacteria crawling around. And so even though I obsess over washing my hands, in the end, it's pointless because kids don't do it right. And um, I came face to face with this and just like, like I didn't know what to do. Um, I was on a field trip recently as, as boys were lining up to wash their hands to where you pretty much watch when left to their own devices, they start by turning on the faucet with their well-traveled little fingers at each harbor of multitude of mysteries. And from there, 
run their hands uh, for a grand total of a half second under icy water, which just serve as a refreshing drink for the little bacteria uh, that live and play on their fingers. Then from there, they turn off the faucet with those same little fingers that, just in case, maybe some of those busy bacteria uh, hopped onto the faucet for a rest stop, they can hop right back on uh, their tiny little finger chariots uh, to come and fulfill their manifest destiny of getting me sick. <laughs> and so we wonder, what's the point? And in the same way, when it comes to our confession to God and expressing genuine sorrow, we say genuine yet again, we start to do it so often maybe that we start to um, doubt, you know, does God, is God going to yet again accept my confession, my sorrow? In fact, maybe you even begin to doubt yourself of how sorry you truly are because of uh, the fact that you messed up yet again. And we think, what's the point? Uh, regular confession is about as pointless as uh, children washing uh, their own hands. But again, remember, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. He wants you to get stuck, trapped, find a wall between the gift of forgiveness and a wall that says you're not going to get forgiven anymore. There's no more. In fact, um, it's important to recognize that it's not, I mean, we've got a lot of life left to live, uh, God willing, in this room. And uh, with that, probably a lot more confession ahead of us. And know this, that it's not the um, repetitiveness or the frequency of confession that in time makes it meaningless. In fact, um, Jesus himself said to Peter, he said, Peter's asking how many times we should forgive. And uh, Peter says, or Jesus says to him, not just seven times, but 70 times seven, meaning kind of this infinite idea that we should be people of forgiveness because of the infinite ongoing forgiveness that God continually bestows upon us should we come to him in confession seeking forgiveness. And so it's not the repeated um, frequency uh, or the repetition really of anything that makes something meaningless. Truly, it's really just doing something meaninglessly that in the end makes it meaningless. And so go to the throne of God's grace with confidence that you can deliver a heartfelt, meaningful sorrow every time and that God will indeed forgive you. Then thirdly, um, upon acknowledging sin and expressing sorrow to God, Repent. Uh, and repent is uh, a word that literally means to turn around. And so in the case of Christian confession, we don't want to just turn away from sin, trying to run away from sin, kind of keeping an eye over our shoulder, because if you just aim to focus on the sin, running away from the sin, you're going to find yourself running, but it's going to be like a treadmill effect that you're running fast, but you're not getting far. Because repentance is not just turning from sin, but it's also turning towards something. And that is the source that helps us from our sin, and that's God himself. Turn to God, and he will help you actually free yourself from, from that sin. That's what we pray each week, every week in the Lord's Prayer. Hopefully not meaninglessly, because we do it frequently, but with meaning. We pray uh, that the Lord would lead us uh, not into temptation, which really gets to the heart of leading us through temptation, and deliver us from evil. That's, our, that's what repentance prayer is, is to deliver us from that evil in our lives. And I know I've said it a bunch of times, but Hebrews 4.16, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us, to functionally help us in our time of need, to deliver us from that evil in our lives. David goes on to express how in prayer to God he will help us in verse seven. He says, um, quoting God, if I can get the next screen, I don't have it on my paper here. He says, you are my hiding place. 
You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. God wants to help you turn from your sin and turn towards him. And one of the ways, uh, getting very practical, that God does help us and instruct us and counsel us in the way that we should go is uh, actually what uh, psychologists now call um, replacement habits. Uh, you might be familiar with this, this term that when it comes to bad habits that we face in our lives or in our setting, uh, maybe sinful habits, that rather than just try to stop cold turkey, that sinful habit in our lives, that we um, would be better to redirect, that you can't necessarily cancel out uh, urges and impulses that we have in our life, but how could you redirect that impulse towards something positive? Philippians 4 talks about this, talks about um, to think on things that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, to think on these things and put them into practice. And uh, when it comes to this idea of replacement habits in psychology and uh, what the scriptures say, I love how, um, frankly, just how often science and the social sciences really aren't in conflict with the truth of God's word, that um, really in the world around us, we are exposed to what theologians call God's general revelation, that we can see uh, the truth as it exposes itself in the world that God created. And so really, we're just learning more and more of how God's world is created. But even cooler than them just not not being in conflict is when I see in scripture uh, the truth that maybe it's a hot topic for uh, social science right now as in the case of replacement habits and habits with psychologists, a truth that's actually been in scripture for centuries upon centuries. And that's the case here. Uh, Ephesians 4.28, this idea of replacement habits that we see in psychology, says this, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So it's saying stop, but it doesn't say just stop but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. In other words, if your busy hands cause you to sin by stealing, uh, allow God's Holy Spirit to redirect that impulse, that energy toward things that are good, things of him, uh, and in this case, serving those in need. And so, very practically speaking, when you are looking to repent and turn away from sin in life, Ask God specifically, God, how can I redirect that uh, impulse or that, that otherwise negative temptation and use it for good? Use it for, again, as we pray each week, for your glory, by his power, and for his kingdom. Again, not our own strength, but God's power to actually functionally help us to do this. And so repent. Turn from your sin and toward God and by God's help toward the things of God. And then lastly, uh, upon acknowledging your sin, upon expressing sorrow to God, and then by God's work within you, helping you to turn from that sin toward the things of him. Lastly, uh, and sometimes we skip this one, celebrate. Celebrate. Celebrate the fact that confession and forgiveness has a period at the end of it. That uh, verse 11 concludes our time, concludes our psalm. Uh, it says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous sing, you who are upright in heart. You see, the result of confession and forgiveness is that you are indeed righteous. Again, not by anything you did. That's clear with David. That's clear in our own lives. We're not righteous because we do things right. We're righteous because of what we celebrate in communion, of what Jesus Christ has already did in his broken body and his shed blood. 
celebrate where it says elsewhere in the Psalms that as a result of confession and forgiveness, as far as the east is from the west, I don't know how far that is. It sounds like a far way. So far has he removed the transgressions from us. And then again, bottom line, as we said, the spoiler, we end where we started and we started where we're gonna end. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And so that is the gift. Not the burden, but the gift of confession, being honest to God in that, and thus, even more importantly, forgiveness and grace and God's favor resting upon us. And so as we close here this morning, I recognize it would be a disservice for me to kind of just dump on you uh, how great it would be if you had confession in your lives and not actually functionally give you that opportunity uh, to approach God's throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy, to receive grace, and to receive help in your time of need. And so we want to close, rather than me just telling you about it, with an opportunity for you to actually uh, confess and to pray and to get honest to God right here and now in the context of worship while it's still fresh in our hearts and fresh in our minds. And so uh, what we'll do is I'll, I'll lead us uh, through these four stages, these four prompts as to um, how you can confess these four stages of confession. And again, I like almost better now, four stages of forgiveness that we receive from our God. So I'll lead us, I'll prompt us, and then I'll give you a, uh, a moment of silence to pray quietly there in your seat uh, to the Lord our God that you may find help, grace, and mercy in your time of need. And so I invite you to pray with me. Father, search our hearts. And where we haven't already, reveal to us specific sin. The sins we have committed, things we have done, and Lord, that which we've omitted, the things that we've left undone that you've called us to do. And so Lord, we acknowledge specific sin to you now. And Lord, with that acknowledgement, uh, we don't want to hold it in our hands. We want to take advantage of the gift that you promised we have. We want to hand that over. We want to surrender that to you. And so uh, we say sorry. We express our sorrow to you for that sin, and we hand it over to you now. So, Lord, as we um, spiritually hand off our sin that you say you take on yourself through the work of the cross and we let go of that, we also, uh, in a very functional way in our lives, want to step away from that sin. We want to repent. We want to turn from that, uh, that sin. We want to be moved through temptation, delivered from evil. And so, God, we ask your help right now through prayer uh, to turn away from that sin and towards you and to the things of you. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, hear our cry for help.
And Father, as we receive the forgiveness that you have now given us, we embrace the truth that we stand upright before you as those who have been made clean. Lord, we acknowledge that you have removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. And God, that gives rise to joy in our hearts. It gives rise to celebration and rejoicing and even singing. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. Let's all stand together. Let's recall these words from Psalm 32. Read them aloud with me. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. That's talking about you. Let's read those last two lines, starting at rejoice. Read it with a little fuller voice. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. I think that sounds like a pretty good suggestion. I think we should take God at his word on that and finish with some rejoicing and with some singing. So let's lift our voices together with fullness of heart. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Celebrate and sing. Your grace is enough. Heaven reaching down to us. Your grace is enough for me. Oh, sing your grace is enough. I'm covered in your love. Your grace is enough for me. For me. Grace enough to cover our sins to make us clean again.